Welcome to the Sabbath School Rescue Podcast with your host, Buster Swoops and Michael Campbell. This week, we have a special bonus episode with Dr. Jack Dukan, who is the principal contributor to this quarterly's lesson on the book of Genesis. Join us as we dive deeper into new insights we hadn't thought of before. The Sabbath School Rescue Podcast is hosted by Michael Campbell and Buster Swoops at Southwestern Adventist University. We love learning and sharing God's Word. And together we have 18 years of pastoral experience, and now we have the privilege to dig deeper into this study. All right, here we are for a bonus episode on the Sabbath School Rescue Podcast. And I am very excited today because we have indeed uh, an excellent scholar with us, uh, Dr. Dukan. And before I introduce him, uh, I'm going to allow Michael to do a miniature introduction before he introduces himself. So Michael Campbell, please, uh, to share, share with us a little bit. Uh, the knowledge you know about Dr. Dukan before we uh, allow him to speak. Well, I mean, where do I begin, right? So right. Uh, those of you that may not be familiar. <laughs> creation. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, Dr. Dukan is a professor of Hebrew and Old Testament exegesis uh, and the emeritus director of the Institute for uh, Jewish Christian Studies at the seminary at Andrews University. Uh, he has his training from um, our Adventist College in uh, France, uh, spent time uh, at the University of Strasbourg, uh, did a THD at Andrews. I think he's just gone on um, and then later uh, did some additional graduate studies uh, in Egyptology. So uh, Dr. Dukan comes uh, eminently qualified, uh, probably where he's of most interest to Adventists at this particular juncture is that some people have heard uh, rumblings or rumors that there is a new commentary, New mm. Seventh-day Adventist Bible, international Bible commentary, I might add. And there's been one volume released so far uh, on Genesis, and that is by Dr. Dukan himself, who is the uh, the, the main editor of the series. So uh, here, we were chatting before we started about how he's keeping very busy uh, no doubt, uh, with as many uh, research and writing interests. And then um, I think this is going to be probably uh, perhaps the greatest contribution to the church is this Bible commentary. So we're so excited. Uh, I could go on and list his um, uh, academic accomplishments, but from a personal level, having been at the seminary years ago when, when you were a professor, uh, just being able to, uh, to sit at your feet, um, to teach in a very relatable kind of way, uh, the deep things of God's word and to explain it very clearly and cogently. So uh, thank you for joining us for the Sabbath School Rescue uh, to talk about the lesson and, of course, as the principal contributor uh, for this quarter. So uh, back to you, Buster. Yeah, so, so at this point in time, Dr. Dukan, is there anything you want our listeners to know as we move forward talking about the Sabbath School lesson? What we're, we're opening up to you. To know about the lesson itself, I mean the yeah. Well, maybe maybe tell us. You know, obviously you've written commentaries on Genesis, but but what made you decide to do an actual quarterly on the book of Genesis? Well, uh, actually, I did not decide to do it. I was yeah, yeah. so uh, <laughs> which is uh, not exactly the same. But uh, you had to say I'm going to do and I make have... the time to actually do this. Right. Yeah, I had written. Uh, my my dissertation I wrote here at Andrews was on, on the creation story. Mm. Okay, uh, and so that uh, and since that time I've been working on this text. Actually, um, in a previous uh, doctoral, it was my doctorate in Hebrew. 
uh, I touched a little bit this uh, when I was working on the connection between language, the Hebrew language, uh, and the culture and the thought. And so I, I touched that as a, I, I used the creation story as an example, administration of, of that particular profound connection. And so I, I, I then later, again, but then I was more focused on literary structure, the expression, the way the text is bringing to us the, the event of creation. And so since that, I've been working on that. And uh, uh, of course, of the theology of creation, the, the event of creation itself is, is an important uh, event also in, in, in my faith, I should say. Uh, so that's that's uh, that beginning. And of course, the, the stories of the book of Genesis is also very, uh, it was, it, it is still, a, a, you know, a place where I, I like to, to delve, to, to reflect and story of the sacrifice of Isaac, story of wrestling, Jacob's wrestling with God, uh, story of, of, you know, uh, of, of Jacob and, and, and also the, the encounter between Jacob and, and his brother, uh, Joseph, the story of Joseph. This, this book is so rich, so inspiring, so close to us. Uh-huh. I feel very human when I read this book. So, uh, so that's mm. kind of explain a little bit my interest and my history and my, my personal, uh, my personality. I mean, my personal, uh, you know, uh, way of uh, of understanding things. Right. So that relates me with the book of Genesis. All right. So, so that would be my my kind of a justification for this particular uh, interest, which I think. This book of Genesis, I believe, and that will explain also my, my interest, is since it is the book of the beginning, uh, it has also something to say about the end. Mm. So, so this is why I, I'm interested in, in, in this, this particular tension between beginning and, and end, between creation and the hope of, of, of the kingdom of God. So that's what we find already there in Durham. And, and so that plays, that play, of course, a role, an important role in my, in my interests. I, I will have, a, of course, other things to say along the way. And, but that's, these are the basic, the basic reasons, uh, you know, uh, why I am there in connection to Genesis. There are maybe there are others, of course. Okay. So uh, I, I would then ask, what, what do you think are the biggest challenges that the church faces when reading not only the creation account, but also the other accounts that are found in the book of Genesis. Um, because, yeah. I, I think you are asking the right question and certainly the foundational question. Mm-hmm. And this is where we are struggling. And that is mm-hmm. the idea that really the event we are talking about took place. Uh, whether uh, it is simply an event. I mean, very often we hear that uh, the, the, the story we have here is a story. That means mm. it remains there as a story, uh, uh, but it doesn't have any uh, claim to have taken place in history. Mm. So um, we are, and then generally uh, I heard Christians and other people uh, they, uh, because of uh, traditional understanding of, you know, scientific 
so-called scientific understanding of, of, the, of the origin of, of, of the earth. Uh, mm -hmm. So there, there is some kind of, of a conflict. And, and so uh, generally, uh, in order to solve that problem, many Christians have come to the solution, which is a very, very uh, noble solution, a very attractive solution that the creation story is just there to provide us with spiritual lessons. It has nothing to do with history. It's just something, you know, sentimental. It actually, it has to do with your encounter with God, relationship with God. This is what is important. And it sounds, right. this is, sounds very good. You know, the, actually, our relationship with God, the, our faith in God, and so forth, that this is uh, basic. Uh, the thing which we, uh, we often, uh, you know, forget, I mean, this is something very basic in, in biblical in biblical thinking, in Hebrew thinking. If an event uh, is told in the Bible and this event did not happen, there is no reason why you would take a lesson for it. In other words, from it. In other words, in, in biblical thinking, unless there is a history, unless there is something which really took place, it doesn't have the claim to be providing you with a lesson, with a, with a, with a message. Uh, in biblical thinking, I, I like to say um, we uh, versus you know Greek thinking and the Cartesian thinking, we 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 are uh, we exist. You know the, the the history begins, and then the thinking comes after that. Unless you exist as a human being alive, you don't think. There is no lesson to learn for our uh, salvation, whatever uh, message, if the event which is provided to you never happened. So uh, if, there, if Jesus did not resurrect, there is no Christianity. Mm, true. If, creation, if creation did not happen, there is no humanity. So, so uh, that's the way biblical, fun you know, biblical thought functions. So that, that would be, uh, you know, and that's the way the text presents itself. The text presents itself as a total dot. That is a genealogy. You cannot be more historical than that. Mm. You know? Because to be historical, to exist, you need to have a father and a mother. You need to have a genealogy. There is no genealogy, biblically speaking, you don't exist. So when the creation story presents itself, is written in the form of a genealogy, and it is called... At the end of it, this is the genealogy, the Toldot. The, the, the person who wrote that wants us to believe that it is a historical event, just as, by the way, all the stories which are going to follow, because they are also Toldot. Genealogy, uh -huh. genealogy of Abraham, genealogy of Isaac, genealogy of, you know, uh, of Jacob. And so if this, if, if the creation story did not happen, then all these stories did not happen either. You see, so, so it, it is, you have that connection, the literary connection. Both are called the genealogy, the story of Jacob, story, and all the stories, uh, you know, in, in the creation, in, in the book of Genesis are called genealogy, historical. So therefore you can take from them in lessons for, for your life. So that uh. perhaps, you know, the, that's the challenge. The challenge is 
to recognize the historical reality of this. The text does not say, I mean, you don't have science there. You don't have, if the text was written in a scientific way, no one would understand. Actually, it would be a very complicated form. But, but what we have here is simply a, a report. This is the only report of creation you have in the whole Bible. And in all, I can say, we can say, in all Middle Eastern and, and all stories, we don't have a, a report of creation. You have reflections on creation, you know, lessons you can take from creation. But the only place, the only text in all human literature which brings you a report of creation of the beginning, it's the biblical report. So this therefore is a foundational text, very important text. And the Bible begins with that. Yes. Love it, love it, because uh, if I could summarize what you're saying, which is we need to uh, take this out of the, the skeptic's hands of saying this is a story and bring this back to an actual event, bring the history back into it and seeing the genealogy that was uh, tied into G uh, the book of Genesis. So I, I absolutely love that. And I'm taking, I'm taking notes here because uh, when I teach the Christian beliefs class, I, using some of these key words, and these phrases, it just reminds me, you know, even of genealogy. So I absolutely love it. Um, go ahead, go ahead, Michael. Well, I just want to make it a little bit more personal. You told us about the the lesson and some of your graduate studies, Dr. Dukan. But tell us a little bit about your own like personal faith journey. You know, um, and in terms of um, obviously, the Book of Genesis is a book of beginnings. It's a book of identity. It's a book of uh, so many different things, but um, on a very personal level, I mean, how, how did you, at, at some point you made a decision, I wanna be a biblical scholar and devote my life to studying these things. Uh, but tell us, how, how did you get interested in these things on a very, on a very personal level? Well, uh, again, to speak about creation, for instance, uh, mm -hmm. as you know, the only biblical definition of faith, yeah is found in the book of Hebrews. Mm -hmm. And this is the one which begins a, a series of mm -hmm. stories, by the way. Uh, so I, I would say uh, uh, this, there is something personal in, in my faith. When, when you, uh, and faith, uh, just beginning with that definition of faith, uh, just to learn to uh, uh, believe in spite of the fact that you don't see. And this mm. is our life. Just uh, to uh, believe in God, although you don't see him, and just to believe in, in you know, that he's going to work for you, to save you, to take you to, to and so forth, although you don't see him. But, uh, you see, this, this is something which, of course, uh, you know, plays a role in my in my relationship with God because we uh, we are challenged by that. We we like to have something, you know, tangible, uh, in order to be able to and rational, uh, in order to be able to function. But here we are challenged, uh, and we are realizing that really uh, important dimension in our relationship with God is the capacity to believe in spite of the fact that you don't see. And, and so I, I would 
I would, I would, uh, I, I think this is my life in a way we could say, because we may, uh, in our life, we always have challenges and moment and opportunity when we don't see things. We would like to see something and we don't see them. And yet we, we you know, uh, we have understood that the fact that we don't see doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. There is not mean that there is not a promise. Doesn't mean, and life teaches us later on that what you don't see uh, actually is the most important. Mm. Invisible is the most important, right? Love and, and you know, all this uh, relationship with each other. And, and so, uh, so that would be, uh, you know, my way of responding to your, to your question. Uh, to, to, to say, to reflect on how, uh, in, I, I think, uh, I, I don't have a direct answer to that question. Uh, mm-hmm. How does the creation story, how does Genesis, I mean, it, it, it is a play a role in, in my life. I, I, I think uh, I, I read the book of Genesis and I must say, uh, but maybe you can say that for any biblical book, but I think more importantly for the book of Genesis, I must say, mm. Uh, I read this book and I always discover something new, something fresh, something mm. fun, something significant, which I did not. Yeah. Uh, and so that would be my experience with this book. You know, I, I've written things and then, you know, I haven't revised the Genesis you have in your hand right now. And as I was revising, something significant, something important was missed. Mm. So, is my, my my experience with this beautiful book, this wonderful, mm-hmm. challenging book? Yeah, always new. Old book, Sorry. oldest book, but also the f- newest book. Yeah, if I may uh, interject and and ask a question. Yes, sure. Hi, Doctor uh, Dekan. Um, so uh, again, my name is Franklin. Uh, but um, you know, I think this topic is kind of piqued my interest in the past because if if the Old Testament is not a historical account, then it kind of depletes the credibility of our entire faith in so many ways. And, you know, I, I don't think we should have blind faith, but um, I stumbled across a documentary. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called uh, Patterns of Ev- Evidence. Um, it's a four-part series uh, put together by Tim Mahoney, a filmmaker, where he goes and he interviews scholars um, from different backgrounds and ask them about the historical account of the Old Testament. And it's shocking to find how many um, people have actually lost their faith because they don't believe that the Old Testament is historical. Have you, have you looked into any of this before? You know, what is interesting is that the, the beginning of the historical critical approach which you are referring to uh, is related to this particular text of the creation because they looked in the 17th century, uh, 18th century, rather uh, when uh, a number of people, uh, one particular, look at this text and they saw a contrast between the two, uh, the two texts. The first creation story, we call it Genesis 1, to say it quickly, and Genesis 2, like that. And they saw two different names, two different perspectives, uh, two different views, understanding. So they concluded that this, uh, so uh, not only different, but 
contrasted, you know, almost contradictory. So they concluded that uh, we have two different sources. Uh, and, uh, and they, of course, dated these sources, taking in consideration the, uh, you know, what they had understood from this, uh, you know, the, the thesis of evolution, one was more advanced than the other and so forth. So they, they came to that conclusion. And that was the beginning of the historical uh, uh, critical approach and uh, of the theory of, of, of the sources of the, you know, of that particular, you know, the documentary hypothesis, as we call it. What is interesting is that in the last few years, I should say, people have looked more carefully, uh, and I, I must say that it was the topic of my dissertation, they've looked at, uh, carefully at the, at the text and they realized suddenly that these two texts are interrelated. There is a connection, a deep connection and indicating that this is the same author who is bringing two different perspectives in tension. And, and, and uh, we are not used to think in tension, you know, uh, having, you know, bring two things which are opposite together. But that's really biblical thinking. You begin with attention. On one hand, you have God who is far away, transcendent God on the other. And then later on in the next text, you have God who is close. So they say it's not possible. They did not understand that the this is the same God who is both far and close. And if you miss one dimension, you miss everything. So, so I, I would say, um, uh, and, and what is interesting is that today, more and more people are questioning the documentary hypothesis, but they're still holding to some traditional conclusions which were uh, taken from their understanding of the, of the you know, documentary hypothesis. They, they rejected the, high, the documentary hypothesis, but they are still holding some of its principles. So there is a contradiction, uh, I, I would say, not to put it in a very, you know, perhaps quick way, there is a contradiction uh, in this uh, because the, and they recognize now this, uh, this is the two, uh, this is the same text, this is the same author, but then they look and, and, and they go on and then uh, they, they do as if, uh, you know, uh, nothing happened, as if really it's still uh, this idea of uh, different sources is still valid. So that's a, an interesting uh, and I should say an incoherent uh, uh, approach to, to the scriptures. Right. Yeah, thank you. Um, and forgive me if this is an inappropriate question in any way. No, no, um, but I was curious, um, what is, I think it's called historical revisionism, where we kind of review and look at um, maybe some errors that we could have possibly made in Egyptology, Egypt's history. Um, to accommodate uh, other surrounding cultures. Um, do you think that that's something that we should consider in, in the archaeological uh, world? Uh, I'm not an archaeologist, but uh, could, you, could, you specific, could you be more uh, precise in your question? I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, so I guess part of this uh, theory is that, um, that there's a challenge against um, maybe the history that's been taken against Egypt's history. Um, so basically the timeline for, for Egypt's history is off. No. Yeah. And, and um, that there needs to be a correction um, to basically, um, and when we make those corrections that it does fall in line with the biblical view. Um, 
so maybe that's not uh, not your. No, that's not really my area. But uh, uh, you are referring to uh, you know a revision of uh, the, the dating which we have in uh, in, uh, in in the you know in the history of uh, of e e Egypt. Yeah, there have been some revisions. There is there is always. You know, this is not a new thing. Yeah, there have been in the history of uh, of uh, scholarship. There are always events which, you know, challenge uh, former uh, findings. So this is not a, a new thing that happened already also in the past. Uh, but, uh, well, the, the Bible, of course, uh, doesn't uh, present itself as, a, as a, you know, as a, as history but uh, doesn't provide us with all the, the you know the details which perhaps we would like to because it doesn't you don't have a, 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 my way of answering that question if you compare the way for instance historian function today work today and and the bible this is this is different the the the, the, the biblical authors they tell about their own the, the events uh, of course, uh, differently, and they do history, right, in a different manner than today we are doing history from a sociological point of view, for, I mean, a total view and so forth. Now, they are just telling you uh, what is important uh, for your salvation, uh, but uh, at the same time, telling you that this really took place. That's the only thing. They don't get into the, you know, the, the details which you may have in a scientific uh, you know, uh, approach of, of of history, but it's, it's just essentially focusing on on uh, on, on 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 the uh, the lesson uh, 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 of, of this of these events uh, without really uh, providing you with with all you know. Uh, you don't have every. I would say to talk about the creation story. Uh, in the creation story. All what has been said, all what is written is right, but not all has been written. If you see what I mean, in other words, you don't have yeah. there all the things, but what we have there is, you know, uh, is, is, is right in a way, right? So, so, but you don't have all the experience, scientifically speaking, and also historically, you don't have all the details, but all what is given to you from a biblical point of view is right, but you may not have all, uh, all there. Right? That, that would be my answer to your question. I, I don't know if I did answer so, you know, satisfactory to you, but I mean, that would be my way of addressing that question, yes. Yes, thank you, that makes sense. I, I see a hand here, I don't know, a lady, Pastor Kayla, is she, is she raising a hand or something? No, I'm not raising my hand. Sorry. Oh, okay. Uh, so, so, Sheila sorry. always has good questions, so I'm I'm counting uh, on her to have a good question. No, I saw I saw a, a hand. <laughs> All right, that's fine. All right, very good. Okay. Well, uh, you know, let's talk about some of the major themes of Genesis. Obviously, the Book of Beginnings has something to say at the end. Uh, we have the whole quarter to unpack it, but but uh, talk to us about. And I know you've mentioned before some of the how you're always learning. And discovering new things too, uh, perhaps some of, of some of those things that is speaking to you, um, and some of these larger themes of the book of uh, beginnings. Okay, you, you want me to give you some examples of things I have found? Yeah, uh, absolutely. 
Yeah. Uh, I, I, well, I think, uh, well, starting with the creation, uh, I would say I have learned to uh, accommodate uh, my relationship with the God who is far, but at the same time is close. Uh, and uh, also the way I worship, I, I would worship with this awareness of his distance, but at the same time, his proximity. So in other words, I start uh, the, my, my, my journey into the, the Bible and into my experience with God with this tension of a God who is far, transcendent, powerful, but at the same time, very close, very near, speak, speaking to me and so forth. And when I worship, I try to keep the tension alive. So that would be a, a first lesson you know, um, I, I learned from them, which is a fundamental one. I, I believe. Now, of course, there are uh, many, many, almost every line, uh, there are things, you know, the, uh, another thing which, of course, I, I would like to emphasize is the beauty of the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is very well structured, very well shaped, and uh, it's not just for aesthetic purposes. It has, it provides at the same time, through that beauty, through that form, it provides us with a message, it provides us with a with a lesson, with with a you know with a important important truth. Well, uh, something sometimes uh, perhaps the most dramatic, uh, I mean one of the most dramatic I should say uh, finding uh, was in Genesis twenty two, which happens to be in the middle of, of the book of Genesis, which is the story of the so called sacrifice of Isaac. Uh, when you read, uh, uh, so in, in that story, which is in, in that text, which happens to be in the middle of the whole structure, really, this is the apex, this is the climax of the whole of book of Genesis. There, in the middle of this, of this middle, so that may, in a way, uh, provide us with perhaps the essence of the book, uh, I found this, uh, you know, within that uh, dialogue between Abraham and, and Isaac, then you have uh, this uh, response to Isaac, who himself says, uh, okay, let's go to Genesis 22, for instance. And okay, uh, you have, of course, we could, this is not uh, something we, which is directly in, in, in that lesson, but which is saying something about the book. Uh, when, when, uh, Isaac asked the lesson to Abraham, where is the, I see everything, you know, the fire and the wood, but where is the, where is the lamb? You know, he's asking, where is the lamb? Uh, because he knew the absence of the lamb was something significant for him. It was something which suggested a, a problem, you know? Mm. Uh, so he, he, that, that's funny. Uh, and knowing, of course, uh, uh, looking around the, uh, you know, the environment, his own environment, where people were sacrificing their son, making their son into a lamb. So now uh, it's as if Abraham is doing the same thing. So where where, where is the lamb? So that's that's the question. And Abraham says, uh, "My son, God will provide for himself the lamb." And that's translation. If you read it in Hebrew, it means something very different. I mean, not very different, but it brings something very powerful. What he's saying here, uh, he uses the phrase in Hebrew, it says, Yer Elo, 
uh, that means God will, it's a reflexive. God will see himself. I'm translating now to make it clear. God will see himself as the lamb. That doesn't come through in the translation. In other words, to, to, uh, to, uh, to Isaac, he says, where is the lamb? Abraham says, God is the lamb. God will be the lamb. God will, and that's, that's something I, uh, which really struck me in, 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 that, in that reading, you know, grammatically here, brings this out. And of course, uh, uh, it gives a completely different uh, orientation of the text. That's one of the things. Of course, there are many other things. To, another thing which I discovered, which is very important also, in, it is uh, Jacob who looks at his brother, who is the enemy, who is the one who came with the army because he wanted to kill him. Uh, and a brother, uh, you know, with whom he had some suspicious relations, you know, and 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 uh, finally, uh, you see, you have that phrase, which is a bomb in the context of the Bible. When I see your face, Jacob says to a, to a, to uh, his brother, it's as if I see the face of God. This is for when I read this, uh, and uh, and there is so much. I mean, this this kind of truth, seeing the face of God in the face of the one who is not only different, but also the enemy. He is suspected to be the enemy. And uh, to realize that God is there, that's a very revolutionary, uh, a very short thought, to see the face of God in the one you don't expect. And, and you have this thought, by the way, all I mean, in, a different, in different ways in the book of Genesis. Uh, you don't learn about God. You don't relate to God unless you relate uh, with humans. And I think this is a thought which, of course, found its way into the New Testament. Jesus comes back to that very often. And so th these are thoughts, these are truths uh, which you discovered. And, and this is bring out, this brought out not in in the way I bring it, I describe them in like a, a like you know principles and. Thoughts. This brings this in. This is brought in the context of life, the context of you know um, daily life. Uh, it makes religion uh, alive. It makes religion close to us. So this book of Genesis is is not a book of uh, of theology. It's a book uh, of life. It's not a book which makes you think. It's a book which makes you commit yourself. And the thinking comes later, right? So that that would be my uh, my response to that question, you know. So, okay. Does anyone else have any any other questions? We don't uh, want to make sure everyone's heard. I know I have a lot of uh, follow ups, especially on what you yeah, just shared. Of course, there is of course uh, the, the, the the question of the Sabbath, which mm. is an important question because we begin history begin the human history begins with the Sabbath. Mm. It's so, uh, and it's not just a Sabbath. It's a seven-day Sabbath. Actually, the word Sabbath is not there. Right? So it's to make sure that, you know, it's not just a, a day of rest. It's a seven-day. The, the, actually, the word seven, there is a rhythm of seven in the creation story, just as there is a rhythm of seven in the Sabbath, just to tell you that the Sabbath responds to creation. Uh, and... Uh, 
uh, you have in, in the context, the, the text which speaks about the Sabbath is very well structured, very like, it's like a beautiful poem made of three lines, each lines of seven words. And the, and the, the phrase, the, the word, seventh day is used three times. So three lines, each wow. time, seven day, seven day, seven day, and each line, seven. And, and that responds to the, to the creation. Actually, the creation story begins with, with the number seven. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamai be'at haretz, that is seven words. And in the middle, you have the name of God. If you count the number of, uh, of letters, if you count the number of words, Elohim is really the middle. And if you want to have the lesson, the main lesson of, of the creation story, that would be you know, something and perhaps a lesson we could learn from there, is God. You start with God. God is really the starting point of, this is of our relationship, of, our, of life. Okay, this is the most important. Right, he, he God Elohim, and actually, when we read the um, liturgically, when the text is chanted, still in the synagogue today, uh, and still you know since the very earliest stage uh, times, they chanted the text, they sing the text, and they when they, when they read the first line and they reach the word which is in the middle, which is Elohim. They stay a long time on it. They elaborate. Elohim, just so that's the start. The starting point of life is uh, and who we are is God, right? So that that would be uh, uh, and you begin with God, right? And so that's another uh, another important lesson of Genesis. You know, you begin with God. You don't you don't make your second step, you know, uh, if you don't have the first step in God. Right, so that would be that's something important. I'm just throwing here. What else I could say here on on, on Genesis? You know, it's interesting that, by the way, I, I was talking about beginning and end. The the, the creation story, the, the the book of Genesis begins with Bereshit in the beginning, and it ends Bemitzrayim in Egypt. And it's interesting that there is, uh, I mean, there is an echo between, I mean, you can hear that already, and uh, there is an echo between the two words. And uh, in, in, in the context of, of the Bible, uh, it, may, it has particular significance. When you read uh, the last verse, the last words, um, with the bones of Joseph, and we know uh, in Deuteronomy also you have, you know the bones, and so you have this this idea of uh, almost you know death, but still hope. Uh, you know the hope that there will be the promised land. You know we, you conclude with the promised land, right? You conclude with the promised land. You begin with creation, and you conclude with the promised land. That's the flow of the book of Genesis, right? So that, that would be. You know, uh, in other words, this is a very Seventh-day Adventist book, you know, to speak to, you know, to a Seventh-day Adventist audience, because you begin with the Sabbath. History begins with the Sabbath, the Seventh-day, not the Sabbath, Seventh-day, and it ends with an Advent. It ends with the, the hope of the second coming, the hope of the resurrection, the hope of the promised land. That, that's what we have. 
and and this particular again attention as you can see again attention and this particular tension is all over in the bible all actually the whole bible is signifies that tension begins with creation ends with recreation with the hope right in the book of revelation and also in the old testament so that tells you how uh, you know how this you know the the, the essence of the book i think i would say just to pick it quick if i want if you if i want to summarize the essence of the book i would say um, uh, sabbath seventh day and uh, the hope uh, and which is by the way the definition of faith which you find in hebrews 11 all right so so that that would be so it's a very foundational book from that point of view and it tells us that our beginning and our end are, you know, in his hand, okay? And they have to be brought together. So that would be my, my response to that. Excellent. Uh, I, I love hearing, especially about those echoes. I took down some more notes there. Um, what, just thinking about our audience as they're going through the lesson this quarter, uh, what, particular insights do you want them to not forget as they're continuing to go over these true accounts week by week? Are there's, is there anything in particular you want them to keep in mind as they're going in that can help them garner deeper insights? Uh, uh, all right. So, uh, what I, I would say, uh, in a way, uh, so we are, it's what I just said, I could say, all right, but what could be, uh, the, what, what lesson, you know, I, I perhaps I would, I would suggest to, 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 to keep with you is that, uh, is the presence of God, is the, the relation, your relationship. Uh, I mean, you, the book of Genesis is telling us about how God came close to men and walked with humans. It makes, makes religion uh, uh, a, a, real, a real event. I mean, a real relationship with God. Religion is a real relationship with humans, as already said, okay, uh, from the very beginning. But it, it's a walk, it's a journey with God. And that that's, would say, you know, uh, that perhaps uh, the lesson uh, maybe we could learn from the book of Genesis is that God is present in our life, uh, very close, and he walks, he walks with us and he speaks with us and he surprises us. I would say, uh, and I, would, I want to maybe with me conclude my, my point here is that at each step in the book of Genesis, you will be surprised. And if you live with God, at each step, you will be surprised by God. And so that, that's perhaps uh, you know, the, the lesson we can learn from Genesis, to walk with God and be surprised by him. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, Michael, I, wanna, I see that you have something else. Yeah, I want to. I want to ask a question. I mean, obviously, there's so much to unpack. There's the creation story, 
But there's one particular spot that just really speaks to your soul, uh, a verse or something like that. Uh, if you, uh, it might be really hard because they're like your baby, you know, the whole book. Um, but is is there one? Is there a, a short passage that really just appeals to you on a on a personal level? Oh. Can you choose a favorite? Uh, it's a difficult question because I, yeah. I, uh, uh, I, you know, as soon as we'll tell, I will tell you a, a, a text, uh, another text will come, another idea will come. So, so rich. Oh. I, I think I mentioned, I mean, to see the face of God, I think I even preach on that. Uh, I mean, seeing the face, I, 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 when I look at you, it's as if I see the face of God. Mm. I, what I learned, I mean, maybe we could say we learned that lesson is you, and you may ask yourself, what what happens here? What makes uh, Jacob? What made Jacob uh, capable of seeing the face of God in this, in the other, in, in his brother? It's because he already saw the face of God. Mm-hmm. The wrestling between Jacob and God when he saw. God, Panim el Panim, Peniel, what he called the, the, you know, the face of God. Actually, the word Peniel means the face of God. This is his experience. He saw the face of God. And because he was able to see the face of God, because of that particular vertical relationship, he was capable to see the face of God among mm-hmm. with his brother. You will not be able to see the face of God in the other person if you haven't already had that experience of seeing the face of God, having had that particular encounter with God. Uh, Reversally, if you don't see the face of God in the humans, in the others, that means you did not see the face of God at all. Mm. That that would be, uh, and I think I I would be able to, you know, just take this and show you how this, uh, this connection takes place throughout throughout the book and I, of Genesis. Uh, you have a book of this, the story of Joseph and his brothers, right? Uh, you have so many. Sto- and you have Jacob and and Laban and, and you have Abraham and, and Isaac. You have and and Adam and Eve uh, and Cain and Abel. You can see that the whole book of Genesis there and is about learning to relate to God as you learn to relate with each other. Mm. And I'm not sure that we have understood that very well because we may be as religious people, expert in our relationship with God. And then we are so expert in our relationship with God that we sometimes love God so much that we are willing to kill people for him. Mm. And we miss the point. And and so uh, the book of Genesis is challenging this way of thinking. Unless you are, uh, you have the right relationship with humans, with each other, you will not have the right relationship with God. That would be a lesson I would learn. I would mm. from, from the book of Genesis. Yeah, I, I love this. And, uh, you know, we've got uh, several future pastors here on with us. Those of you that are listening with our Sabbath School Rescue podcast. And we're just uh, been enjoying talking with Dr. Dukan, but I've got several future pastors. You spent your life training pastors at the seminary. 
and and we might even have a few a future budding scholar maybe a future budding old testament scholar uh what words of advice or wisdom would you have for our students um in, including not only those preparing for ministry but maybe uh those that feel a calling to follow in your footsteps dr dukan well, I, I think your question is a very, uh, certainly very, right, it's a personal question, very important one. I, I, I would simply answer, take the Bible seriously. Uh, we are not taking the Bible seriously. And, and the way sometimes we study, even in our Sabbath school tradition, mm-hmm. I, I discover, and even the way we are preaching and talking mm-hmm. to pastors, we are more talking about ourselves than talking about the text and talking about him who mm. is present in the text. The, the I is more present than the he. Mm. Uh, uh, the, my, story, my story is more present than the biblical story. And this is why we are actually taking the place of the text. And we are not we are not learned, we have not learned to listen to the text, to be to see the beauty, the depth, the riches of the text. And we are very shallow, very often. Not saying it's always the case. So what I, you ask to that question, I will simply, again, repeat, take the Bible seriously. And sometimes I, when my, my field is exegesis, and uh, I have uh, one, uh, there are a number of points I'm giving to, to, to people to provide them with tools and so forth. And in the beginning, by the way, I say, well, what is the most important tool in exegesis? To what, what me, which really allows you to, to draw from it, its message. Uh, and they give me all kinds of tools, you know, uh, uh, of course, uh, commentaries uh, in a library. Some people even say the Holy Spirit, uh, prayer. And I always say, no, 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 it's not the right tool. It's not the most, it's very shocking. I mean, they go through a very, uh, you know, they are, uh, even when I say this, the Holy Spirit is not, and then I tell them the most important tool in you reading the Bible, it's time. Take time. Read the text seriously. The time, you know, you're using the time to take slowly, read slowly, learn from it. Uh, and so that's something we have not learned to do. We are quick people. We are today with the, you know, the, click things, the quick culture, uh, we, we may miss something important. And, and so uh, that would be my, how should I say, uh, my recommendation to the pastors. Be more slow when you read the scriptures. Let the scriptures uh, be, you know, uh, reveal itself. And there is so much there, so much there. Unfortunately, mm. uh, uh, our mind is so busy with so many things and, and that we are not giving time enough and we are taking yeah. the text uh, seriously. And, and so that would be my, my, my point, which I yeah. believe which, to the pastors. I, I love that you bring up that point because we oftentimes try to jump to the application before understanding the exegesis and even teaching the, the people to do so. Uh, we need to mirror that, especially in our pulpits, but also in our personal lives. So that uh, re- especially resonates with me as I'm thinking about homiletics. So I, I yeah. wrote that note down to share with, share with the, the yeah, budding but, preachers. 
But you know, to, to come to your point, actually the application is the starting point. If there is no life, uh, I, I mean, you will not, uh, that's another, another element to complement what I just said. If you don't receive the text in your life, you will not understand it. It's true. You you see, both, so, right? so the existential, uh, uh, you know, assimilation, you know, is a part uh, of uh, is a part of your of your life. If you don't live the what you discover, the beauty, uh, you will not actually understand them intellectually. So certainly, the application is important. So, you know, and it becomes important because you take the text seriously. You apply because it's important. You don't apply because it's not important. That's the problem. And application is right. But the problem is, what do we do when we apply? Are we applying what we are thinking or are we applying what we are learning? So mm. we need to, and so as we apply what we are learning, then you understand. Yes, so, so this, the application, of course, is what I call the existential digestion, you know, unless you, you are changed by this text, text will not be understood by you hmm. and others. Amen. Amen. Oh. Well, and I hate to say this, but I think we're out of time. Okay. <laughs> because uh, we've, we've reached our time, but I hope that people will take the time, especially having this special bonus episode as we have had the privilege. Uh, thank you, Dr. Dukan. Yes, uh, thank for, you for, for this uh, treasured moment. Um, I'm, I'm going to remember that line, take the Bible seriously. Uh, we want to invite our listeners. Um, that's what the whole Sabbath School Quarterly is about, is taking the Bible seriously on an individual basis each day, um, on a weekly basis, as a community of faith, and to wrestle with the Word of God. And not an, not the too much I and not enough he. Buster put that down in the chat and and. Um, too often we make the biblical text about ourselves and not about God and, and listening to his voice speaking to us and allowing God to change us and transform us. So, uh, Dr. Dukan, I feel like I've, I've been back in class and okay. I just want to thank you for your scholarship and for, your love for the word. God bless you. Thank you. So this is a wrap for this week's Sabbath School Rescue. This is Sue. And Swoops. Signing out. Signing out. out. As we put a wrap on this week's lesson, this is Campbell Swoops signing off. By the way, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Southwestern Union of Seventh-day Adventists and Southwestern Adventist University, which has for over 125 years provided a Christ-centered education just 20 minutes south of Fort Worth, Texas. We love teaching with personal colleagues, offer quality academics, and provide numerous ways to get involved both on campus and across the globe. To learn more, visit swahu.edu or check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Also, be sure to join us again next week as we continue to explore God's Word. You can make sure not to miss an episode by joining us at sabbathschoolrescue.org.